Welcome to the Fourth Space Podcast. In our new Checking In series, we meet up with Patrick Leighton, Concordia's public affairs advisor, to listen in on his conversations with Concordia researchers. This week, he sits down with Seth Wines to discuss a new paper just published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. Wines is a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Geography, Planning and Environment, and he writes that the drop in travel among the four major sports leagues in North America has had a noticeable effect on their carbon footprints. In this conversation, they look into how sports leagues can optimize team travel and how that can have a major impact on greenhouse emissions. Thanks for listening. Let's jump right into it. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the paper? Yeah, so the idea behind this paper was in 2019, uh, when the pandemic got into full swing, all sports really had to adjust their practices to deal with COVID. And one of the ways that they did this was by adjusting their schedules. So they played games, more games that were back to back. They isolated teams so that they only played a few other teams or they were a little bit more regional, things like this. And it was all about keeping COVID in check within the league. But it had this secondary effect of reducing the amount that they traveled. And so I used that as a sort of natural experiment to say, well, what if we kept these policies in place in a normal year? Couldn't that be used to uh, sort of reduce the carbon footprint of these major league teams and found that there were pretty substantial savings. Like if you're sitting around waiting for technology to decarbonize aviation, you might get savings of sort of 1% per year in how efficient aircraft are. Whereas the policies that were implemented during this year added up to about 22% of emissions reduced. That's just a, a one-time easy step change. And I think that's a really positive step that sports can take. Sports are very visible. Athletes are role models. And so if they can do things that show, hey, we're fighting climate change, we care about this too, then that's good for fans to see. It's good for other business communities to um, see them stepping up to the plate, so to speak, and uh, getting things done. I mean, tell me a little bit about how you came up with that 22% figure. So that's looking at emissions per game that happened in the regular season in 2020, when for most of these leagues, they had uh, they were enforcing these policies pretty strictly. Now, maybe not as strictly as 2019, but in a sort of more reasonable, sustainable way, like you could keep running your business like this, right? And so if you look at their emissions per game then, and you sort of scale it up and say, okay, during a regular season, if you had the same number of games, let's say in 2023, we're planning out the schedule, um, we're not affected by COVID at all, but we're, so we're going to have the same number of games. But by using these policies of clustering teams better and having them play more back-to-back games, and I don't mean like on consecutive evenings, I mean we stay in the same city and play the same team multiple times so that we travel less. Um, by doing policies like that and eliminating overseas games, so you know sometimes they'll fly teams out to London or China, and those are long trips. You need larger aircraft to fly those distances. So the accumulation of all of those policies brings down the emissions per game. And yeah, if you just extrapolate that out for a larger season, I would expect 22% less emissions 
during a regular year. Yeah, it, it sounds like um, a fairly straightforward proposal. What, what do you think are some of the obstacles to, you know, major league sports franchises and, and leagues are not the most agile of creatures, right? I mean, they, like, they adapted pretty well, I thought, to, to COVID, but this would be like a real reorganization to the whole culture surrounding those, those leagues, right? So the challenges, I think, are one, just status quo bias. You kind of want to, if things aren't broken, why fix it? They're not going to want to mess with things. Some of the changes that might need to get made would require, uh, depending on the league, consent of, let's say, a player's union, as well as the owners, as well as the league. So these are sort of like competing stakeholders, and each of them might have different interests that could you know, block different policies for one reason or another. And it was easier to get people to come together and agree during COVID because um, you know, there were just a really strong short-term incentives to find solutions. And those stronger short-term incentives aren't necessarily there right now. So I would say those are the big problems if you wanted to get this across the finish line. You also mentioned things like um, shortening the seasons, right? Yeah, so that didn't go into the 22% figure. You could cut emissions even more if you shortened the season. And that's just kind of straightforward. There are fewer games than fewer flights. Uh, just like a lot of the other policies I mentioned, this also has co-benefits where maybe the players union would be okay with this. Fans are okay with a lot of these proposals uh, because it can mean better player rest, less player travel, and hopefully less player injuries. And so when you're thinking about optimizing not just money, but fan experience and all of these things. Yeah, it can be nice to have more games, but it's really disappointing if you get to the playoffs and the best player in the league is injured. That takes away quite a bit. So it might be worth making a few concessions on how often you get to see your team play in order to have higher quality when they do play. Okay. I mean, what, what, um, what do you think are the likelihoods of any of these policies being implemented, I guess? I mean, I think it depends on policies. Definitely a shorter season is something that's been entertained, at least by the NBA. I could certainly see that happening. Some of the changes, I think, are really only blocked by status quo bias. Like, there's no reason that the American League and the National League in baseball need to be so poorly sorted in terms of geography. Like, yeah, there's a little bit of history there, but teams change it can switch across conferences and leagues. It doesn't need to be that big of a deal. So, I mean, you can make that change and it's not like you have fewer games or lost revenue or anything like that. So I could see some of those changes. Yeah, sure. Like you could accomplish it pretty easily. Some other ones, yeah, might be a little bit tougher to swallow. If you're thinking about really going aggressively on, like the NHL was playing a lot of games back to back. I don't expect them to maintain that in future years. The NHL also sorted teams. So for instance, only Canadian teams ever playing each other during the 2020 Mm. season, you know, until the playoffs, it's not going to happen, but that doesn't mean that you couldn't do a better job with geographic sorting, even if you don't achieve that level. So where I could see it happening in the short term, most likely path is one, like an event that precipitates it. So if you had a couple of major injuries to star players that really sunk ratings 
in the playoffs, um, then suddenly you might get the next year a league saying, okay, let's really figure out this rest situation and shorten the seasons. I'm not sure that these leagues are ready to be pressured by climate change. That might take a little bit more player pressure and fan pressure. But again, that could be a thing where we we can't see a path to that happening right now. And six years from now, after a series of natural disasters and a powerful social movement, suddenly every business is getting their ducks in a row and saying, okay, like we have to prove to our fans and our consumers, our customers that we're dealing with climate better. And what can we do? This would be something that you could say, all right, next year, we're cutting our air travel emissions by 20%. And that's a good first step. Great. I think that's, that's really all I, I have. Is there anything else you want to mention or? I guess one thing that I had as a throwaway line that I think is realistic and important is just leagues are very wealthy teams and owners and they've demonstrated that they don't care too much about spending a lot of money on air travel, really luxurious aircraft. Um, they're not trying very hard to limit the number of kilometers that they travel in them. If you're willing to spend that amount of money, why not purchase sustainable aviation fuels and use that to sort of jumpstart sector and a technology that really needs um, acceleration. So that would be a practical thing that I think could be pretty useful and wouldn't be greenwashing and that, yeah, it could actually accomplish something rather than a lot of other policies that companies will sometimes wave their hands at offsetting and so forth. So that, that'd be one interesting thing that I'd put out there. There's just a couple of smaller points. Like for one thing, I was wondering why, if you knew why the NBA had bigger planes than everybody else. I mean, they're smaller teams. Like it's just, yeah, it, it could be a cultural thing within the league. Star powers have a lot of... Okay, so th- just to be clear, this is speculation. Yeah, so teams are always trying to woo players, right? And so if you have the crummiest plane in the league and you have a seven-foot-two star who has to sit with like their knees pressed against their chest, maybe mm-hmm. they move in the off-season. Like, <laughs> you're really not showing me that you care right whereas if you're the team with the massage table in the front of the aircraft oh yeah like this is a real perk of of being with you so you sort of get like yeah this is incentive to one up each other whereas the nhl is like a little bit more egalitarian um star players hold less power so maybe there's not the same whatever there and also i i just happen to have a little better information about which aircraft were flown in the NBA and elsewhere I was fairly conservative and just said okay, okay. we assume it's these smaller aircraft sometimes it's not true you know like the patriots are flying in the 767 and it's just yeah. an absolute behemoth but yeah do you think the numbers for the NHL at least would have been better if last year if the uh, I mean you mentioned this in the paper right that because the Canadian division had to fly across the continent and most of the other teams were sort of fairly local, the regional. Do you think the in a non-COVID year, now that we're able to travel across borders, how would that have affected the NHL's emissions, do you think? It, like, it definitely would help a little. I think it would be pretty marginal. The NHL was already getting their emissions down by about 50% per game 
Um, so other leagues didn't decrease as much as the NHL did. They really went all in. Um, but the geographic sorting is a little less important than playing those baseball style series, the back-to-back games in the same city, because one of them eliminates trips and the other just makes a trip shorter. So like if you're talking about taking, you know, a flight and getting it down to zero emissions or a flight and getting it down to 60%, it's not as strong of a policy. And then, yeah, you're just looking at um, a hand, optimizing a handful of teams out of that league. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that adds like two or 3% to how much they can cut, but I don't think it's like, yeah, super substantial. It would be good, but. Well, I think uh, that that covers it. Thanks for that. That was really, really interesting. If you have an idea for a podcast, please let us know. You can contact us by email at info.4.concordia.ca or find us on social media at CU4thSpace. We'd love to hear from you. The 4th Space podcast is hosted by me, Douglas Moffat, and produced with Anna Voklovec. Editing by Chanel Lees Marshall and Maximus Delmar. Social media and web support by Kari Balmstead. And our theme music, courtesy of Supercarmond. Thanks for listening.